We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Computer, this is Data. I'm an Android. I'm a basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. Hello and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast, live on playback.tv. Tim, free agency has come. It is still technically happening, but the Lakers are mostly done. How are you doing today, man? Yeah, I'm excited. We've got a squad. We can stop speculating about who they might be able to afford, who they might go after, and really dig into what they got now. I'm I'm pumped and we got summer league going on. And it's just, you know, basketball's back, and I'm so excited to talk Lakers basketball. Thank you, everyone, for joining us here live today. Yes, thank you, everybody. We just watched a little bit of film on some of the new free agent additions, Tim. But if you don't mind, let's hit the guys the Lakers retained on those contracts first. Um, So they kept everybody except uh, Troy Brown, uh, Beasley, Lonnie, and Bamba, right? I mean, Wenyon's gone, but we we knew that. Uh, So they brought in... These other guys, but what did you think about the deals that the Lakers, uh, who were on the team last year, got? I wasn't surprised. I, I think I would be really fired up if we hadn't spent the time to go through the whole market on all 30 teams and you know what everyone's going to do with their free agents. And based on that, you know who's available from a player side, on the team side, what teams have needs and with how much money. Like Without going through the whole Ghostbusters thing, I think I look at these deals and be like, oh my goodness, what amazing values. This is great. Still very happy the team retained them, but we kind of saw uh, the weak markets for these guys play out. I didn't feel going into free agency, having done that research, I was not feeling in danger of losing those guys because it was like, all right, well, who's going to give them the money that they want to leave? Ellie's in the driver's seat. Ellie's in a really good spot with two of them. They were restricted. So in a really good spot to retain Rui, D'Lo, and Reeves. And when we look at what the eventual contracts ended up being, they tracked really, really well with what we forecasted, having understood what that market looks like. So I'm really happy. I guess I like part of the excitement or part of the like, oh my goodness, what a great job, Polinka, specifically with those three contracts themselves, 
is dampened a little bit just because like this is kind of what we expected to happen mm-hmm. but it's still really good if it goes if you lose those guys things look very different especially because of the order of operations of how things went and when those guys took longer and longer and longer to for us to hear what they were doing you know the writing was on the wall there's there's no one left to pay you <laughs> they're yeah. waiting they're waiting for other offers to come in and they're very good players but la just with restricted free agency rights and the ability to kind of hang on to those other teams' money until, what, 24 hours after the end of the moratorium. Like, LA was in a really good spot, and they messaged really well. They did the pre-work to scare teams off and intended to retain those three, and they did, and I'm really happy happy that they did. And I think you've got two to three starters with those three guys, so it's really critical that you were able to bring them back. Yeah, none of them are bad contracts. I think the Rui one is the only one was on the higher end, I think, of what we expected. And I think D'Lo came in a little bit lower, but he does have that player option uh, this second year. Austin got all the bells and whistles, basically, of a four-year full max for a player with his uh, service. So, yeah, he got everything Lakers could give him pretty much. And uh, you love to see it. Uh, he, we were streaming the first summer league game earlier, Tim. During that, he tweeted Laker for life. Oh, sorry. Instagram. But I bought a mixtape. Laker for life. Love it. I love Austin. Excited to have him locked in and uh, moving forward with his team. But Tim, let's get to the players that we added this summer. Um, let's start with Gabe Vincent. Um, I was really impressed with some of his defensive playmaking, watching the film back. I obviously know that I am cherry picking film and trying to find the best stuff for the exceptionalism, you know, but it, it looks like he can be a real, real menace on defense. And they got him for, you know, just under the mid level. Feels like a great LeBron point guard signing. What do you, what did you think of that one? I, I think you're seeing what I'm seeing and you know, you did, you did grab some highlights, uh, but bronze pick up pickpocket badge, bronze interceptor badge here at his people and next player. To profile. be fair, most of that was the playoffs too. So for what it's worth. Yeah, no, that's a good point. He He's shown that he's able to get out there and perform at those highest levels. So Tom, I think you're seeing the right things with Vincent. And even though, we were just looking at some highlights. They weren't like unrepresentative of his play. We look at his player profile here. He's got a bronze pickpocket badge. That means he's he's picking pockets. That, that was pretty straightforward. Bronze interceptor badge, also very straightforward. When we scroll down to his defensive data and we look at some of those, those ratings, A minus for one, B for the other, in general, very high steal and deflection guy. These two ratings just kind of tell us the pickpocket, the passing lane defense in what style he's getting those steals and and creating those deflections. So that is really nice to see. He was a starting point guard for a finals team. Now understand towards the end of that series, he was playing more bench minutes. He was still starting, uh, but you know, he was, it's good whether he's coming off the bench or starting for this Lakers team. And we'll talk about that. We're getting a guy who's been, you know, at that apex and not quite one at all, but got into the finals, you know, they lost to the same team we lost to and by more points actually overall, but it's a guy that's been battle tested as well. This isn't a guy who played well on a lottery team. This is a guy who played well on a finals team. And I think that means something. So grabbing him there, he actually, when we look at his uh, defensive data grades out a little bit less favorably from a like staying in front standpoint uh, compared to uh, Dennis Schroeder, player well compared to Dennis Schroeder however he is a much better defensive playmaker and I think in that way that that helps him close that gap and 
adds a lot of value that it's kind of hard to quantify exactly how important that is until you like, you know, do the math and try to quantify it. And we end <laughs> up seeing him. I don't know. Like, it's like, yeah, I know these things are important. Like when we, I'm pulling it up the two guys right now, Schroeder and Vincent. Schroeder, really good grades. The perimeter ISO defense, ball screen navigation. Vincent, more average. This is among rotation point of attack defenders C and C minus for those two areas. Not bad, but about average. And this is this is difficulty adjusted. This is taking into account the, the caliber of matchups he's facing. And that is something that favors well, favor, that, that goes well for Dennis, who's taken on some really tough matchups. It doesn't really help Vincent. And actually, I'm looking at this is matchup difficulty here. This is a high level, you know, if I had to distill it down into one stat, that's what it is. We get more nuanced with these three ratings. We look at more specific skill sets, not just that big, high-level value. But he was fairly effective. He just did it often against bench players. And this is regular season data. We saw him in the playoffs do it fairly well against much better players. And so I have a degree of confidence in his ability to defend on the perimeter. And then I think you're making a big upgrade from a playmaking standpoint, which defense, feeling your offense, that's really good to see. We also see here his help defensive activities rotating has been much more effective. His uh, positional versatility is a little bit higher. So head-to-head defensively, I think at first glance, Dennis kind of stands out. But factoring in some of these things, I wouldn't count out Vincent. And there's a reason why his defensive impact has been, you know, in that same ballpark. So I don't know that it's a huge improvement defensively, but I do think he's adding elements that will be important and fit right in with what this team wants to do. Now, he he is a small guy. He's only 6'2". So he can only really ever play point of attack. That's all he's done. That's all he's done in his his seasons as a defender in the NBA. He was uh, 48th percentile among rotation point of attack defenders this season from an impact standpoint. Dennis was 33rd percentile. So we're actually seeing an upgrade here from an impact standpoint going from one to the other. We saw in the playoffs, the heat defense was slightly better with him on court. And we saw that materialize through them holding opponent shooting efficiency down a tad and keeping them away from the free throw line a bit more from a rebounding standpoint. He's not helping yet. He's six, two again, Dennis wasn't helping us much there either. So it's, you know, he's better in certain areas, worse in other areas, but overall defensively, I think he will be a guy that that adds some value. Now, he's taking charges around as often as Dennis did. He's getting deflections around as often as Dennis did. Uh, he's about like 30 pounds heavier than Dennis at about the same height. So that's nice. He can hold his own a little bit more. That post defense, again, this is against among point of attack defenders, but a little bit of mm-hmm. an upgrade there, B+. Plus. So uh, he's he's a tougher guy. And I think we saw, we saw on some of the clips you grabbed, like him breaking up lobs. Uh, rotating well, I think, and I want to dig into the film a bit more, but he's someone that I think might help the team be better equipped to run mobile coverages, hedge and recover, rather than just drop and switch. The dropping and switching are two pick and roll coverages where you don't have to rotate behind it as much. That worked well when you've got a guy like Dennis who doesn't rotate well. With Vincent, who does rotate actively, you can do that stuff because I don't care how great AD is from a mobile standpoint, you need guys behind it to do their job. And I think Vincent's one of those guys that is going to be behind it doing his job and help help enable more uh, screen versatility, at least from the film I've seen so far. So that's what I'm seeing with yeah. him defensively. 
Yeah, I mean, a lot of that stuff, um, he's pinching down uh, when he's helping. I think he's going to be better, you know, as a low man help. You know, the random times he's going to find himself there, as all players will at some point. Um, and Tim, I think he'll be a good part of the scheme where, you know, if he does have to chase around a couple screens just because there is this this Damian Lillard or someone else who you can do that with, they're just going to switch it. They're going to find a way and communicate. That's what I saw in some of the film, him being able to switch get himself in a good position, even though physically he might be outmatched. He's not a guy who's going to like, mm-hmm. you know, swipe too uh, irresponsibly. I think he's um, a part gambler, but I think he's very disruptive and I knows when and has really good timing um, on some of his digs and stuff like that too. So yeah, I'm excited on defense, Tim on an offense. He was on fire from three in the playoffs. That was not the case for during the regular season. Um, but he's, I think, uh, over his career, you know, a decent three-point shooter. Do you think that – do you have any concerns about him staying on the court from a three-point shot making, you know, like going forward? And that's a really good question. And I think that'll be a key piece of what his value ends up looking like because he's not much of a playmaker. I've got his playmaking data pulled up right here. Actually, let me change this so it's not among point-of-attack defenders but among – we'll just say among all guards, on and off-ball guards. He is more of an off-ball guard. He's more than just a nominal point guard, I'd say, but he's more in that that mold. Uh, And we've seen this materialize when we look at uh, how often he's on ball versus off ball. Here's, I'm pulling up. So D'Lo, 34% of the time when he's on court and the Lakers have the ball in offense and it's in someone's hands, not being passed, he's on ball. Dennis was at 29%. So around the same ballpark. Big drop off to Vincent around 21, 22%, which is more around where Reeves was. He's going to play more as an off-ball point guard, not really uh, the the kind of guy who's going to be a table setter as a passer. So his ability to play off-ball in space is really important. He's been used as a point guard, but stationary shooter for a bit. And we've seen his three-point shooting in the regular season not be all that impressive, at least this this past year, as I pull that up right now. Again, Dennis against him, from a shot-making standpoint, they were both Fs. Now, he did got, <laughs> get worse quality, but this is factored into yeah. this as well. So when I first look at that, I'm like, uh-oh, that's that's not encouraging. But you want to understand, you know, it's not just, oh, well, he shot well in the playoffs. Yeah, some guys shoot well in the playoffs on a, on a tiny sample, and it's like four games, five games. And it's very different from what they normally do. He played like 22 games or something like that in the playoffs. He played a lot and he shot really well on a big sample. And when we add together his catch and shoot three point percentage the past two seasons, both in the regular season and the playoffs, it's 528 attempts. He shot 37.3%. That'll get the job done. That's really good. And I'm happy with that. So if he, as an off ball guy, and everyone has their their ups and downs, we've certainly seen that with with some of the guys the Lakers acquired uh, post trade deadline. Uh, you know, you got to be able to kind of work through it and live through that. And his ability as an off-ball guy, I think, is really important. And hopefully he shoots better this upcoming regular season than he did this past year. Something, you know, always interesting looking at small samples in the in the playoffs. When we look at his shooting performance round by round, first round, he shot 42% on threes. Insane. Awesome. Really good. Next round, he shot 27% on threes. If Miami loses in the second round and this guy shoots 27% on threes, the narratives are, oh, no, he can't. You know, he could shoot well when 
when the on that small sample when it's for round one, but round two when the lights get brighter, he, he falls apart. But they made it to the next round. And he shot 52% on threes. And then in the finals, he shoots 33%. Just so up and down and up and down. And I'm not pointing this out to say he's a highly distant three-point shooter. And actually, we do have a stack for that. I can pull that up. But to say three-point shooting in general tends to be inconsistent. And on these small samples, if you pick four, five, six, seven games at a time and grab the three-point percentage, it can be all over the place. And so... More as a reflecting point, this this kind of exemplifies how a good shooter can still shoot up and down. And, you know, you don't want to, you know, kick everybody out that shoots poorly for a couple games because they came in the wrong couple games. But I'll, I'll yeah. step off my soapbox. He's a spacer. <laughs> He's not as much of a playmaker. Uh, and I don't know. It, when we look at, like, some of the peripheral metrics for his playmaking – his volume was a little bit below what Reeves was at. So in terms of like how often he was creating for others, that's a job thing. That's not necessarily, oh, he can't. That's that's what his job was. From a quality standpoint, the quality was very low. We see a D minus grade here. It was lower than just about every rotation Laker guard or wing last season. To me, that's concerning. The versatility okay. was about at De- Dennis's level. Not ideal for a point guard. Um, and actually... You know what? It's a little bit higher than Dennis. I'll, I'll take that back. So it's a bit higher than Dennis. Now I slice it a little bit more. Um, his efficiency was low in terms of throwing the ball away. Only D'Lo was lower among Laker rotation guards and wings. So he'll try to, you know, thread some needles. But when you're poorly threading needles and the quality is bad, that's not good. It's one thing to be generating these amazing scoring opportunities. And then, you know, you also turn the ball over a bit. He wasn't doing that. And that to me is... You know, that that indicates that he's not very uh, a very high IQ passer. Uh, his lob rate, if you're interested, for a guard, uh, not very good. It was at Malik Beasley levels. Um, I don't expect this to be an area of his game that's adding value. I think his three-point shooting is going to be where he's able to, to provide usefulness for this offense. From a pick-and-roll standpoint, he he's not someone that's going to do well in a playoff environment He versus very specific coverages. He was okay, but there's a reason his pick and roll effectiveness fell apart in the playoffs and has for, for several years. It's just, that's, he's not that, that style of guy. He, he isn't able to break down different coverages and read everything that's going on. Um, now he showcases some good patience, some good pace, I think you'll see him probing a bit better than we saw some Laker guards in the playoffs. And against like an over and drop, he does a decent job. When you're doing other stuff, though, that's that's when things get problematic. And we can say the same thing about Dennis Schroeder. And a big difference between Schroeder and, and Vincent is that, okay, well, if they play off ball, one of these guys has value and the other isn't having nearly as much value. And we see that like with the off ball gravity. And again, this is regular season and the playoffs, it got so much better. So I think he's not necessarily a big talent upgrade, but I do see him as a nice upgrade from a fit standpoint in that to your first point, he can be a LeBron point guard. He can play off ball, bring the ball off the court, get you into a set. He can run sets just fine. Uh, and then he's fine operating off ball. Whereas with, with Dennis, when his pick and roll game falls apart in the playoffs, as it will, he doesn't do all that much unless he's able to go one V one and just beat someone to the rim. Yeah. That little freeze him, dribble and, you know, walk the dog kind of move. I, mm-hmm. I like Vincent. I feel like your, to your point, just a little bit more versatile. 
um, the kinds of threes he can make too. In the film, we saw, you know, uh, getting a post, you know, trying to make a cut, uh, then kind of faking the cut and fading back out to the three, you know, uh, being able to shoot a little bit with a little bit more movement, not saying he's like a, a full movement guy, but I also wonder, Tim, we talked a little bit about his quick decision making, uh, if you have that one pulled up. And it's less to me if he can create in the pick and roll or can he extend, you know, how, what does he look like attacking closeouts or um, just kind of being that glue piece on offense? If he's that, I think he's he's perfect for for this uh, like playoff lineup. You pull that up. I had grabbed it. Let me share my entire screen instead of just the window. Here we go. Okay. Yeah, here it is. So this is about, there's a bunch of dots on the screen. On this x-axis, left to right, we've got on-ball percentage. This is the percentage of the time when your team is on offense and you're on the court that the ball's in your hands. Among point guards and shooting guards, he's around the middle of this, a little over 20%, under 25%. I think he's at like, what, 22, something like that. Then the up-down part of this is quick decision-making percentage. This is the percentage of your touches where you are doing something with the ball within, I think it is three or four seconds. He, again, is kind of average. If I were to pull this up for just point guards, he's one of the higher quick decision-making guys, and he's also one of the lower on-ball percentage guys. Among shooting guards, he's one of the higher on-ball percentage guys and lower quick decision-making guys because that's just kind of how this works. Mm -hmm. If the ball is always in your hands – and you're dribbling around, you're running ball screens, you're going to take a bit longer to make stuff happen, good or bad. He, as sort of a hybrid point guard, shooting guard from a role standpoint, has found himself kind of dead center in this chart. And I guess I will say, among the guys who are in his range, are there any stationary shooters? <laughs> there certainly are, and I could pull that up. And among the stationary shooters, the thing is, he ten- he's on ball than most stationary shooters. But I will, I'll pull that up here in a second. But we see among the guys, point guard, shooting guards in his range for on-ball percentage, he's on the higher end among these other guys that are right around there. Uh, now, I can certainly refresh my page here and, and pull that up. While that's refreshing, I will point out one last thing. Gabe versus Dennis is rim pressure. I think we're going to see a downgrade here. Dennis, this rim shot creation metric, this looks at how well, how often you're able to self-create opportunities at the rim. Dennis was a B minus. He was getting there. Uh, among uh, This is among guards, on and off ball rotation guards. Vincent, a D minus. That's not really his game. In terms of when you're driving, what your his pass out percentage itself is really high. That's not on the screen right now. He's, he's aborting a lot of drives. The percentage of his pass outs that result in an assist are very low. To me, those two things together, high pass out rate, low rate of assist tells me he's driving, he's not getting anything, he's got to go reset. Mm-hmm. He's not the most effective on-ball guard. Now, when he is driving, he's also not drawing fouls well. This is something Dennis was very good at. When he's at the rim, he finishes okay, C grade, D minus for Dennis, so an upgrade there. But he's not the guy I would want running my offense trying to create the advantage itself. So here I am in our B-ball index, uh, headshot and scatter plot tool. We'll look at on-ball percentage and then quick decision-making percentage. We'll say 1,000 or more minutes, stationary shooters, and then I'll go down to the scatter plot and throw his name in and hit the button. And here he is. Among all these stationary shooters, he's much more, he's on the higher end mm-hmm. in terms of how often he's on ball. And we'll see that drop your quick decision-making percentage. 
So I think it's less about how does he rank and more how does he compare with guys in his area or how does he, you know, how different is he from the curve? He's right around. He's basically right next to Bruce Brown. He's right next to Derek White, which are guys who I'd say are good good, uh, ball movers. Kobe White. I assume. So these are some of the guys in in his range. Marcus Smart's there. Javon Carter, lower quick decision-making percentage, a little bit on ball more. So with him, we're looking at a Dennis replacement that to me, I think it's somewhat appropriate that they both ended up making about the same amount of money. He's a fit upgrade. I I think you can argue one versus the other skill-wise. And interestingly, when I posted on Twitter, some some of the data I was just showing with the player comparison tool, but I, I did it blind. I took the names off. Um, we saw, and I put a poll up and I said, which guy would you prefer as a point of attack defender? Or which guy would you prefer as a backup guard offensively? Dennis won the head-to-head matchup on defense, like 75-25 or something like that. And then uh, on offense, Vincent won, but it was like 51-49 for the vote. So high, high level regular season, I think you could argue Dennis had a better year. But then when you factor in the additional, you know, 15, 20 games these guys played, that's where Vincent was able to showcase the resilience he has to that playoff environment and was able to get that bounce back on a large sample with his three-point shooting that overall makes me very happy that we're making this move. I say this is up an upgrade, and I think this helps the Lakers, not just in the regular season, but in the playoffs, looking for a title. I like it. I like the value. Uh, three years isn't too bad. There's nothing fancy about the contract. Just three year, you know, slightly under mid level. I think will prove to be a good contract and extremely tradable. Uh, you know, if it doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. So we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Good stuff on Vincent there, Tim. You want to move on to Torian Prince? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, Torian Prince. So yeah, signed with for the BAE, Tim. Um, I was more encouraged after watching some of the film, if I'm being honest. Um, this is a player who can do a little bit of everything, I think, uh, on offense. And hopefully that three-point shot kind of, yeah, stays where it was as well. Yeah, I agree. He has been a reliable three-point shooter for several seasons. And I think that's really important. I'm going to pull up his uh, some of his offensive grades against rotation, off-ball yeah. guards and wings and shooter roles. He's been a strong performer almost every year of his career as a three-point guy. He's coming off of shot quality. That was about where Lonnie Walker's was this past year. So I'd expect – I wouldn't expect that to make a – yeah. So I wouldn't expect mm-hmm. that to make a big difference. Here we see an A-. minus. So I don't expect that to make a huge difference for him. Um, he shot 38% on his threes and 41% on catch and shoot threes. Not a pull-up shooter and that, that – drags him down a bit um this is looking funky i'm gonna have to look into that that looks wrong um or maybe it's just the filters i've got on he shot 42 percent on spot up threes he shot 50 percent on 34 off screen and handoff threes and he was used as an off-screen shooter quite a bit it was his second highest half court play type and he had the eighth best three-point percentage on off-screen threes of the 65 players with 50 or more scoring possessions on the season so eighth best Beasley was 22nd best. So we're, we're getting an upgrade there from a three-point okay. percentage standpoint on off-screen threes. Now he shot 11% on pick and roll and ISO threes, which we don't want. He shot too many of them. Cut the fat out of, out of the game, and you're going to see a better player. But, I mean, looking back the last three seasons, these patterns have been pretty much the same. As an off-ball three-point shooter, he's been really strong. We see with his player profile, he has, a, I believe, a silver badge. When we look at his corner three-point shooting, let's see that corner specialist badge. There it is. Silver corner specialist badge. As a shooter, he's going to be good. And looking at the stationary versus movement shooting data, I'm comfortable with him as a movement shooter. And the off-screen game was something that I didn't, I mean, I wasn't, I, I didn't know he was this good at it. And it was really cool watching the film, looking at the data, seeing how effective he was there. That encourages me. Um, as a six, six forward, he's going into his age 30 season. He's been a three, he's been a four offensively as a shooter. I think he's going to add a lot of value, but he's a little bit more than that too. And I think that's not what I was expecting. Uh, he was about average as a self creator among shooters, uh, in terms of getting to the rim, he was average shot making, but he had a bit more juice than I thought in terms of like getting there. And he on spot ups attack closeouts at a higher rate than almost any Laker last season. Uh, only 63% of his spot up opportunities resulted in three point attempts for him, which is still, you know, it's most of them, but it's low compared to a lot of other players. His mid range pull up shot making was a B, B minus shot creation. So it was about Reeves level shot creation. So pretty often, uh, a little bit worse shot making, but it was still quite good. His stable short and long mid range field goal percentages were a B plus and a B minus. 
that would have been one of the best duos for those two stats of any Laker last season. So that's good. He can shoot the three. He'll attack a closeout and hit the midi. He's okay at the rim. And I really liked his passing as well. Um, he is a top level ball mover, in my opinion. He had an A minus playmaking talent grade compared to rotation movement and stationary shooters last season. High versatility, high quality. He sees the floor. He'll make skip passes, post entries, kickouts, the one more pass. He'll dump the ball off on when he's driving. He'll have some sauce on passes, some good no look ones. Like I really like him attacking off of advantages created by others when when he's a spot up shooter or from the set play with off screen shooting because and this is an improvement going from Malik Beasley to Torian Prince from an off screen standpoint with with Malik he'd run it we'd run a play he'd catch the ball he'd shoot if it was open if it wasn't open the play's dead Prince will attack that if you're overplaying him we'll see him drive and then make something happen for himself from the first or second levels or he'll make the right read so and, and find his teammates. So I just see the synergy of his skill sets working well together in a way that before deep diving it, I, I wasn't as bought into. So offensively, I see him fitting in really, really well, either as a starting guy or as a bench guy. He'll play well next to LeBron and AD or without them. Like I, I see him as a nice plug and play option offensively. That that can be a form of offense with the off screen game to generate advantages or just feed off of others. Yeah, he's pretty dynamic uh, when attacking the, some of the closeouts, some creative spin moves, uh, and I think he makes the simple right pass as well. Um, I really like the play we watched where he makes like two consecutive skip passes uh, when it comes to him on the right wing, and one of them he attacks a closeout, gets a right back to uh, Anthony Edwards, and, and he nails a three. So um, another one of the kind of play extender guys, Tim, um, on offense and somebody who I think, you know, as you can play, won't, you know, run any money plays for except maybe some threes here or there. But I don't feel like he's someone you have to like force feed to get a couple of shots up. You know, I don't know. How is his, I don't know, what other accoutrement does he give you on offense other than a little bit of just a tiny bit of everything, I feel like, at a decent level? Man, I, I feel like that covers it pretty well. Uh, he also has a bronze contact finisher badge. So, he was able to turn two shot fouls into those and ones. So he's mm-hmm. a nice uh, ethical basketball player. Once he gets, to the <laughs> he's, he's not just trying to draw contact. He's trying to make the shot. So I, I like that. I just see him being an easy fit and the concern, or I guess if I'm going to pump the brakes a little bit is he'll be in his age 30 season and mm-hmm. we might see some drop off. This, this is one of the older, he's at an age where we don't expect him to be getting better. We are kind of a little bit past the expectation where he's plateauing and we expect him to be a little bit worse next year than he would be this year. And so if there's a little bit of a drop off, I'd say it's probably that like athleticism and Mm -hmm. I don't know, conditioning, maybe I'm not sure exactly what it would be, but that's something to keep an eye out for. But otherwise, offensively, you know, he's not he's not a great rim pressure. He's not the most dynamic three point shooter but he's a good three-point shooter. He's a good ball mover. And he's one where you can tie both of those together with his off-screen game. And it works on ball, well, like as a first option or a second option. I think more often than not, it's going to be as a second option. And we're going to see him come off a pin down or a staggered screen as we're on an AD or in a two-man game, or one of them's looking to go 1v1, whether from the perimeter or the post. And he's going to, 
with his gravity, just open up opportunities for others just because he is a threat. And I'm hoping we see that just, you know, a, a, an upgraded version of what we thought Malik Beasley would be able to provide out of an older guy. So again, the, you know, that's the, the caveat here, but I, I like it offensively. I'm in. But I feel a but coming on, and I guess I'll, I'll uh, <laughs> couch it in a question for you because I look at a guy like Torian Prince, and I think he did do this, uh, if I recall looking at the data, earlier in his career. I think, why isn't this guy wing stopper? Why is he a chaser, Tim? And how is he in general, I guess, on defense? Because if I recall, it's not as, it's not as good as it was, you might think. Yeah, he's not as impressive on that end of the court. I'm pulling up his data now against rotation wings, just in general, not specific to a defensive role. And we see average perimeter isolation defense, not average as a screen navigator. He'll play some passing lanes, but he's not picking pockets. Um, I like the rotating, and I think that fits in. Mm -hmm. He's not a stopper. He's not a guy that I want in actions defending. I, he's someone I'd rather have off ball rotating around. And we've seen him be a helper for a number of years. Then he was a wing stopper for one season. Okay. And he's been a chaser for the past two. If we compare him with other chasers, as I will do right now, we're going to see how he his defensive data compares. Not good. <laughs> he's, not, <laughs> he's not quite that mobile. I don't mind him running off screens offensively. But chasing off screens defensively, let's you know maybe save save the the older man's uh, energy a bit uh, from a, you know older man from a basketball sense. Um, so where and so where helper? So I think I think helper. Yeah, I think helper. I I like the rotating. He is what is he six six, and he's got some good rotating instincts from what I've seen so far. This is probably the area that I need to watch the most film on. Cause it's not something that we can track really well. And he, we might see a guy who's good at some rotations and then really bad at others, maybe tax Roman really well, but he's never helping the helper. Well, so that's the kind of stuff that I okay. need to really, really dive yeah. into. But I'll tell you this, when we something we've got working in the background of people index is we're trying to put together an overall perimeter defensive grade. And this is something we've done years in the past. And now that we've got these better metrics and we've difficulty adjusted them, we're, we're throwing something overall together among all chasers this year, he had the second lowest overall perimeter defensive grade uh, among rotation chasers in that metric that we haven't published yet, but it's looking Oof. pretty good. Uh, trust me, bro. It's But he's not looking good in it. And so that's concerning <laughs> to me. I think defensively is where I am a little bit more worried with him. And he's someone that, you know, not really a positive rebounding presence. I... Uh, I think it's, you know, you try to have him be a, a helper and see what you can get out of his rotating and secondary room protection. Do not expect him to be all that value add on that end of the court. Let's see what he looked like the past year and D plus. But if you can be around average, if we can get him to like a C minus in a better role fit, this was a D plus mm -hmm. as a chaser, get him to a C minus as a helper. And I think that's, that'll work. We can work with that. Okay, so I mean, it just complicates things for me with the other guards we have, or at least with D'Lo. It might not be the best fit out there. I, I think you you want to put you know D'Lo in that low activity role a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm still I'm still working stuff out in my brain about this team, Tim. Um, 
But I do have some concerns about Prince's defense keeping him on the court. Yeah, uh, potentially. I think that's a potential concern. I think at his size, he's able to, like, I don't know. Like, how do you pull him into an action? I guess teams would have to be running, like, wing guard ball screens or something like that. And the Lakers would need to be switching. And in theory, if they've got this team of guys that can rotate well, they could just show and recover, try to refuse to switch. So I it's I think it won't quite be as easy to pick on him as it would be if you've got like a 5'11 point guard that's just a really poor defender or something like that, or a lumbering big that's a really poor defender and you're a team that switches a bunch. I think he'll be able to kind of make things work a bit. He's fairly versatile. He's someone that you can move around and put on a weak offensive player for the other team, whether it's a power forward, a small forward, shooting guard. He played each of those roles at about 25 or more percent of the time. He's just not guarding ones. He's not guarding fives all that much. But two through four, you can slide him around a bit. And I think that makes it easier to try to hide him. So that's I, it's some, I think it'll be a weakness, but I don't think it'll be the kind of thing that you're just like, this guy cannot be on the court, at least not okay. in the early rounds of the playoffs, potentially. I have some hope. We'll, we'll see what it looks like with more film and in reality. But I think in theory, he's better equipped to handle that than like a Malik Beasley would have been. Well, kind of the part, at least for me, Tim, where I start to get slightly less optimistic. And that might be because we gave up both of these upcoming players two year player minimums, which just in general, it's just not a great sign. <laughs> Yes, it's not a big deal. However, it's it's not a, it's not a great process either. I don't know. What did you think? Talk me off of the cliff with uh, with let's start with Jackson Hayes, who I admit is very mobile. You know, feet. He's very athletic. He can jump out of the building. Um, but so looking at some of the film, I still wonder if he. Um, kind of understands what is asked of him in some actions still looks a little raw for me yeah i think he's someone that i i like the skill like the physical tools and the skill sets and like as a prospect Mm -hmm. i'm really intrigued but he's played in the league for four seasons and we haven't quite seen it pan out the way that you would like to and in some areas we've even, even seen him regress in others we've seen him get better interesting but yeah, the the second year, so player option for not just him, but several others, to me, like I so part of me, I get it. It's not uncommon, but for a guy like him and a guy like Reddish, where you're trying to like if you get them, you're like, oh, I can make more of him than their team. And I could raise his value. If you're that confident and that's why you're going to get them, and they're at the min, if you can just make it a two-year deal with no option or you know best case scenario with a team option but I, I can understand them not going for that you're able to you know enjoy them that first year and then for the second year you've got a guy who is on a bargain of a deal and by including the player option you erase any opportunity for that bargain of a deal year two which from a trade standpoint hurts their value potentially uh just you know keeping him around this is a guy that because it's you know, you only have him under contract one year and then he might be gone the next. You don't have any rights to retain him. So if you found this guy, you've able to, been able to optimize him, 
And then it's like, oh crap, we can't pay you unless we give you our, our you know, exception. That's the way to lose guys as one of these teams. So I get it on the player side and it's worked out. I think it's going to work out well for Hayes and, and some of these others, but that is part of the, you know, the little, little details that can be impactful because when you are a team, you know, able to get to the finals with an Alex Crusoe on like very, very little money or I don't know, a Jeff Green at the min or whether it's a vet min or an undrafted guy or a guy on a rookie contract, like having guys that are bargains compared to the value they provide is really important to have. And so for year one, he could be one of these guys longer term, you know, you're, you're capping that potential upside. But okay, but sorry, sorry, go ahead. No, I, I was gonna say like Hayes himself offensively, and I'll translate. I'll if you have any bigger picture points, let's let's get to those and then we can dig into his offense a bit. Yeah, no, other than just kind of like what what's the best coverage to run with him? You know, he since he does have good feet, he can you know play at the, at the level of the ball a little bit better, but that's not really how the Lakers have played the pick and roll, right? So I don't know, it just kind of seems out of place yeah so defensively i guess we could start there his first two seasons as an nba player he has been a he was an anchor big drop coverage center basically Mm -hmm. past two seasons he's been a mobile big he's been switching a lot more he's been hedging a lot more this past season he switched 61 percent of the time he was defending at a ball screen Mm -hmm. he hedged uh let's see here about 20 percent he blitzed about 5% and he was in drop around 15%. So rarely running drop coverage. He was hedging more than he was dropping. He was switching way more than he was dropping. The prior season, he was actually in drop about half the time. And then he was doing the mobile stuff the other half the time. He's been pretty bad in drop. I don't, I don't see that as an area where he's good. His hedging hasn't been as good over the last few years, but is okay. His on-ball defense has actually been pretty solid, B and B minus the past two seasons compared to rotation, mobile, and anchor bigs. But as a mobile guy, and I think you can you can be good with the hedging and the switching with him, you need the rest of the team kind of organized that way. Yeah. And I think moves like Vincent, moves like Prince, those go grab some of those players that are good at it. We know Dilo rotates well. Uh, AD, well, I guess he's not going to play alongside AD, but AD rotates well in theory. Um I just don't play the two of these guys together, please. (laughs) LA Vando rotates like LA's got guys that can do this. And I think they've removed some of the guys who are bad at it. Malik and Dennis. Those are guys that weren't rotating. Well, Um, you're taking some of those dudes out. You're inserting some guys who are hitting. I think you might be better equipped to use a Jackson Hayes as a Jackson Hayes, instead of trying to make him a Bismack Biombo. So we'll see how the team's approach looks. But I'm praying that this team recognizes who they're getting and why they're getting him. And they don't try to do what they did with Damian Jones with him. Damian Jones, really good mobile coverage guy, horrible drop coverage guy. And they just made a run drop like 80% of the time. So if you do that with Hayes, you're just not optimizing the asset. You're not optimizing the player. It's not good for the player. It's not good for the team. So I'm I'm hoping they realize what they have. rotating in our data or help defensive activity uh he was at a c grade for two years then a d minus then an f his rotating has dropped off and i think why that is is because he's been drawn away from the rim more so i'm not as worried about that um so on the film it looks better than that data makes it look and i think it's just an opportunity thing there but at a high level it's like ooh, that doesn't look good 
his rim protection metric, uh, our metric at B-Ball Index, looking at all the players he's contested this year and how well they shoot at the rim versus how well they shot against him at the rim and aggregate it all together. He's been at B, C, C minus, and D grades the past four years. And part of this is opportunity. But even when we look at when he's contesting, the, the field goal percentage at the rim versus expectations, no volume component, just how effective you are at disrupting shots in his four seasons, A minus, C plus, C, D. Just dropping off, falling off, falling off. And that concerns me. And I want to watch some more film on that. But if they can get him back to what he was, that A minus, oh, that, that's way better than you are right now. So to me, I see this as an opportunity because he is young. He's going into his age, what is it, 23 season. He's seven feet tall and he moves well. And he's a guy that used to be quite good as a rim protector. And I think you can make more out of him than that. As a post defender, he's been really bad. You can make more out of him than that with better technique. As a defensive rebounder, he's been really poor, but he should be able to do better. And so there's just, there's opportunity. I see opportunity all over the place with him. And him as is, wasn't a very impactful player this past year. It was not, not good. But I see him as a reclamation project that you're able to make more of if you use him better. And so defensively, that's more the style of guy he is. Well, I, I like that. Thank you. You did talk me off the ledge. You know, however, if he stays at second on the center position in the in the depth chart, I it that what you broke out, a reclamation project at backup center is tough. So do you think the Lakers will try to target a backup center? Um, despite having Castleton, they, that's a, a route they could go. But if they did that, I feel like, you know, Hayes would would get the shot first to kind of get primary backup center minutes. Potentially. I, I do think the one remaining need this team has is they, they do need to go get another center because Hayes isn't that bang in the paint guy. They I would love for the team to go get a Bismack Biombo. He's a guy that should be probably willing to take a Vetman deal for a title contender. He mm-hmm. was just coming off a season where he was one of the elites from a rim protection standpoint and very good in drop coverage. That's what he is. He's not going to do the other stuff, but you've got Hayes as a mobile guy. Go get Biombo as a drop coverage guy. And I would much rather have a Biombo or Biombo style of player than like a Tristan Thompson, who's kind of redundant, like coverage wise with Hayes and also isn't one of those guys that's going to bang in the paint with you. Mobamba, he can space the floor a bit, but he's also not one of those guys that's going to bang in the paint with you. So I would love to see the team pursue another body. I think Biombo's that guy. And if you go for someone and you swing and you miss, you know, you can go get another one potentially. There, there are several players available and may still be available into the season. You also have Castleton, who we still need to see season a bit and mature and, and, and improve in some areas of his game, but as is was a very good drop coverage big in college and has some elements of his game that I see working quite well at the NBA level for an IQ standpoint. He's got to beef up a little bit and that'll help him on both ends of the court. As we saw in that, just that first stint of his first summer league game. Um, he's got to be able to handle that physicality and athleticism that some of these guys driving at him and into him are going to bring. But that I think, you know, get that bruiser, get that bruiser, Go get the bruiser that can play drop coverage. And then you've got AD as your first line guy. And then you've got a mobile coverage guy and a drop coverage guy. And then Castleton as an insurance option. 
Castleton can play up to 50 games, is it, this season as a two-way guy? And then the, at a team level, you are capped if you are operating with less than 15 standard contracts on the roster. So that would limit the, the total number of games that two-way guys can play to being only, let's see here, I have a note, 90? Yeah, 90. So if three two-way guys play in one game, that counts as three games played. Um, but if you actually fill the whole roster, then you can have all your two-way guys playing plenty. And if you need to get to the point where you need more Castleton, and that, and, it, and if you're wanting more Castletons because that next that other big we're going for isn't panning out, you can cut that guy and just convert Castleton to a full contract. So that's to me is a, an ongoing yeah. need and how I would approach it. All right, Tim, it's time. Last but not least, Cam Reddish. Can I can I mention one more thing with Hayes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for it. So offensively rolling cut big, uh, four out of four seasons. I see another speaking of opportunity, 46% of his possessions this year came alongside another center. 46% of the time, this guy who's a non-shooter was placed next to other centers. And and the other guys that they had were, were better shooters, but there was still a lot of time where the paint was clogged and or he was operating from the perimeter. He is not a perimeter trigger man, dribble handoff playmaker kind of guy. That's not his game. He's made a lot of bad decisions trying to do that. I don't want to see that from him. And we see his field goal percentage at the rim be 75% when he's in the only center. It drops seven percentage points when there's another center on court with him. And at a team level, the Pelicans shot about 10% worse at the rim with two centers versus just Hayes. So it was like, if even like impact data has to do with your role and your lineup fit and the scheme. And I see a guy whose lineup fit was horrendous because of half his possessions were in these super clunky lineups. And no crap, when you take them out, they're going to do better because it doesn't make any sense to construct it that way from my perspective. And so I think that poor lineup fit depressed his value a bit. And it's something that I'm not worried about coming to the Lakers, uh, his shooting at the rim, super high quality should continue to be high quality and his shot making itself. Hasn't been all that impressive as we see here on the screen D D minus the past two years, but he's still going to get super high quality and he'll be able to, to get high field goal percentages, which should be fine. Um, one other thing I see with him is the frequency at which he's rolling and how much of that has dropped every season. He's been used as a rolling cut big, but his, uh, his, his opportunities at the rim as a Roman, his frequency itself has gone down year after year after year after year. He this season had twice as many spot-up possessions as rollman possessions. He scored 1.6 points per possession on 24 rolls, about half a point, less than half a point on 48 spot-ups. That's stupid. That doesn't make any sense. Use him, use him at the rim. He's the rim guy. Make him do the rim things, right? Like his putbacks for 75 possessions, they've gone down year after year. He's at the 17th percentile. He was in the, the 40s, the 50s prior to that. So like Ah, use him around the rim. And I think the Lakers will based on the lineup piece. And we, he's been a really effective finisher at the role every single season, 96th percentile, 90th percentile, 99th percentile, 98th percentile, his stable role man efficiency. Do it more, do it more. He's good at it. Like that to me is one of the biggest areas of opportunity. It's going to be like, Oh wow. Like, look, look how LeBron fixed his game. Like use him at what he's good at and he'll, he will fix his game. So I want to see more of that. 
I want to see fewer jumpers from him. He's a not good jump shooter, not even a little bit. He's got an okay floater, but not on good volume. So use him around the rim. He'll be able to rebound better on both ends. He'll be able to attack the rim as a putback guy, as a finisher on dump offs, on rolls, as a lob threat. I see him fitting in in those ways. And I think he is a like easy, like low hanging fruit reclamation project in those ways. But at the same time, he needs to improve his technique in a number of ways. And he also needs to uh, improve his screening technique. His, his screening contact percentage was really low. Uh, and it used to be good. And so that's another thing that like, I think just bad habits that the Pelicans let him get away with just shouldn't fly. And I don't know how confident I should be in that given how AD has kind of been as a, as a screener and how much fans have complained about that. But that is an area of his game. I think if he's a little bit better at it, we'll see more advantages created for the guards, which will draw the defense and it'll open up the lobs for him even more. So that might be part of the, deteriorating role volume as well. Sorry, I, I, I had to mention You're that. You're good. There's so much no, that they can get out of this guy that's better than what the Pelicans have, um, but he has to do his end as well. It's not it's not all usage. I'm sorry to announce I'm back on the ledge. Um, I don't <laughs> I don't see it. Okay. Um, he had me on the defense. Offensively, I think he's he might be kind of unplayable, uh, but we'll see. I hope I'm, that's not the case. Also, Tim, I was thinking... You know, we'll get to Cam Reddish here, but in the rotation, how many guys do you feel, you know, like queasy about shooting the ball now? It's a lot fewer than a lot of Lakers uh, years past, you know? Yeah, I'm not as worried about it. It's AD and Hayes who are centers. I mean, Castleton, if he plays, also a center. Mm -hmm. Um, So really in the rotation, I'll say in the rotation, Hayes and AD. So two guys there, Vando. Right. And Vando might be a second stringer, depending on how some guys pan out. He, in theory, could be like the 11th or 12th man, like a third stringer. I, am I missing anybody? I think that's it. I mean, I was going to say LeBron, but. Uh, <laughs> oh, 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 actually, Reddish. Red, Reddish. Yeah, I'll mention Reddish. He's not been a good three-point shooter when we look at, at his like, three-point shooting data over time. And it's been somewhat of a constant for him um this is against Diggs. i'll i'll change the screen but yeah Red, i guess reddish is that other guy but i don't anticipate he's going to be like in the regular rotation okay and lebron uh, actually bounce back yeah LeBron, lebron uh he had a bunch of like a a minus a plus three-point shot making seasons in a row and then had an f this past year that's coming back up that on that coming back up I have a $5 bet in the discord that it's going to be above like 34 point something percent. I need to go grab the percentage. Making us feel real confident with your $5. Um, okay. Cam Reddish, Cam Reddish time, Tim. Um, why? Why do we do this to ourselves <laughs> and sell me, I guess. Um, I, I, yeah, do your best. Good luck. Here's the pitch. Here's the pitch. He's not someone we've wanted the team to trade for. He's not someone we wanted the team. I mean, I think that's been it. When he's come up in the past, it's been trade. And he's not someone I want to invest a lot of capital in, or if we've got one opportunity to make a trade, he's not where I'm going with it. If you're to go get Cam Radish, he it needs to be in a role where we do not need to count on him and we are not investing a lot in him. Both of those things are yeah, true. That's fair. He can absolutely flop and it doesn't matter. Because it's not like we've got a lot of money tied into him. 
short-term or long-term, nor is he expected to be like a starter or even a backup, like a, a second stringer. So as a guy entering the season, shouldn't be in the regular rotation most likely, unless he really proves himself in practice and in preseason, it's only upside unless there are locker room off-court issues that are you know toxic and, and hurting those around him. From a basketball standpoint, it's only outside with him. He's going into his age 24 season. So he's very young. He's still so much refining to do. He's been a low impact player on both ends of the court for four seasons. It's not like I'm not looking at him like, oh, wow, look at this intriguing, you know, college prospects. Like what, what I wonder what he can do once he gets a real, you know, player development coach and he doesn't have to take algebra or doesn't have to take calculus anymore. Like, no, he's been a professional basketball player for four seasons and has been a bad professional basketball player. While being a bad professional basketball player, there have been stretches where he's played real well. You can find highlights for him. Uh, we just did. A, we just did. We just did. You can. They do exist. I'm not going to tell you that every game or every quarter, or every play he's played, he's been bad. But usually, you know, on average, that, that's kind of been what you're looking at. As a career catch-and-shoot three-point guy, 33.1% this past season, B-minus shot quality compared to rotation wings. It's not like he's taking the hardest shots in the world and can't hit him. He's been getting decent quality. I think the quality can go up. Still hasn't been able to hit him. And so that's concerning. His mid-range uh, pull-up shot making went from F to C- minus to B the last three seasons. So that's that's intriguing. Uh, his general, uh, his rim shot making went from F to C to C plus to B. That's good. That's getting better. His rim shot creation has been about steady B, C plus, B, C plus. So he can pressure the rim a bit. He's getting better finishing there. His second level scoring has gone from awful to about average to above average. His three-point game has not been there thus far, but we know we can get up to good quality. And then another big area that you can take his usage away and allocate it elsewhere is pick and roll play. I'm looking at, this is with the Knicks, all of his play types, spot up shooting most often was above average at it. Transition was above average at it. Pick and roll ball handler was one of the, the worst in the NBA. Same with his handoffs. And he did those things second and third most among half court play types. Don't do that. That's not good. He's not good at that. Um, when we look at with the Portland trailblazers, they did it more. They did it even more. Why are you doing it? The second most thing, uh, second most often thing. Um, and he was still bad at it. So like cut that out of his game, make him more of a, you know, off ball wing stationary shooter, three and D style player, it's going to be, you know, you're capping the potential impact, but if he can be a guy that spaces the floor or is at least off ball, catch and shoot good threes or catch and attack a closeout, that's the way to use him to try to get the most out of him. And that's what the Lakers will do with him. And I think along with the improved role, some of the underlying factors, the shot making from the first and second levels have gotten better. So that's encouraging. One of the things I noticed in the film was uh, Portland running stampede cuts with him. And and at least the plays I saw when he played with Dane, uh, which is an interesting, you know, staple of the Lakers um, playbook last year with LeBron. So Mm -hmm. I just thought I wanted to float that out there. Yeah. You know, two, two non-shooters, LeBron James and Cam Reddish. Uh, Yeah, no, and when LeBron wasn't hitting those threes, like that was the way that they, they countered. And so LA has faced this. We've got a wing. He's off ball. 
we don't trust the three-point shot right now. Here's what we can do with them. And with the improved rim shot making, which isn't reflected well with this 11th percentile cutting on 14 attempts, 12 shots with Portland, that that is a way that we know LA will do that uh, would make some sense for him. So offensively, I think you can use him better and using him better along with him continuing to improve in these areas. And he's still, he's going into his age 24 season. He's at the point in the growth curve where he should still be grown. So as a flyer, upside only play, I like it. I actually, I like it more than I was going to, going into the offseason was thinking about just because for so long we've been like, no, 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 no. But he's gotten better since then. And the, op- the, the situation is exactly what we would be looking for. So I like that. Uh, yet again, he's, he's got that, that player option. So if he does put it all together, it might be just for the one year and then he walks. But I like it. And he also, I want to see at least the early film I've watched on his defense has not looked like the train wreck that I saw a year ago, which was mm-hmm. absolutely horrendous. Um, I want to watch more. I am not going to say he's a good defender. The data certainly does not. But I am a little intrigued, and he is a good at some things on defense. He's been a pretty good perimeter defender. He's got good perimeter defensive data. He's got good playmaking data as a perimeter defender. And I think just, you know, getting him to understand the rotating piece. Here, here's his perimeter defensive grades. Really good defensive playmaker. A plus, B plus, pickpocket, passing lane defense. Staying in front. These are difficulty adjusted. Pretty damn good. Staying in front, navigating ball screens. That's good. Room protection, above average. Rotating, C, apparently. I want to dig into to this piece. His rebounding needs to get better. It's been very, very bad. We see a lot of Fs and 1D minus on the screen. But he looks like he's starting to put some of this together. Enough so that he breaks into the regular season rotation? I don't know. Enough that he breaks into the playoff rotation? If I had to guess, I'd say no. But we've this isn't starting from like on a zero to 100. It's not like you're starting from zero. He started to work his way up on each end of the court in ways that, hey, with some better usage, with some more growth, get him in Phil Handy's hands and we might be able to see something happen here. And another thing I want to point out with these four acquisitions from a defensive positional versatility standpoint, and Reddish plays right into this, A grade for him, A minus for Hayes, B for Prince, C for Vincent. Those four players, their defensive positional versatility, higher than every Laker player this past season that wasn't hmm. like, like Rui started with Washington or Vando started elsewhere. Those guys were... Uh, Vanda was high, Rue was a B plus. Everyone else for the Lakers was like a D or an F, just about a couple seasons in there. So if LA were trying to increase the defensive positional versatility, the coverage versatility, they're grabbing the right guys to do so. I just hope that that's their plan and they're not just doing it by accident. So at a granular level, I get each of the individual moves and then putting them into the broader context of the offense and the defense, I see fit and I see purposeful building on and improving upon weaknesses from this past run that got you to the Western conference finals. They didn't push any, you know, deal too far. I feel like, um, you know, like we can be annoyed by the player options, but ultimately it's not going to affect the team building in in a, in a meaningful way. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think the Lakers have had like a, a a really solid off season, Tim. I think it's, uh, you know, people are praising them. I know on ESPN and people get mad, but I think it was legitimately like just very 
uncharacteristically normal offseason. <laughs> just very normal. Yeah. Like it's good. Oh, that makes sense. It, so if we were to grade it out, how do you think you would grade it out? Here's I'm pulling up Reddish's who he guards from a position standpoint, from a role standpoint. If how would I'm you try to be harsh or you know, trying to be as objective as I can, I think like a B plus A minus. I I don't know which where where I fall. I think A minus, but I think that's about where I am. I, I think B plus A minus. I liked the free agent moves more than I liked the draft result. Mm-hmm. Like I think pick. I don't know that there was a guy available that like. I mean, Jaime Hawkins probably would have been more of a player. We just watched him own us in the summer league game. Yeah. He's the fourth most impactful college player in all of all of college basketball last year. Like really, he was really good, and he's still really good. Um, yeah. Don't know if he was the best fit, but he was a really good player. Sasser potentially I, he's you know an older guy there's less upside he's like the same age camera camera is right now um but is a more like currently refined player I, I think trading that pick for something and we don't know what that something is we evidently know that bamba and beasley didn't have much value so i don't know that like they, i'm sure they explored the option and just couldn't find anything that was that was good from a trade standpoint so i can't fault them trying because i can't show that they didn't try there but I'm, I just, I think Shafino and Lewis are both guys that are longer term pickups. I don't anticipate that they're ready to break into the regular rotation this year. Maybe they'll, they'll, they'll pull rookie Christie duty and like play some spot minutes when they need to and hopefully do well. But they're longer term pieces. I mean, I like Castleton. I like Hodge. I, uh, I'm missing one. Who else do I like? Is that everyone? Oh, I guess yeah, Fudge is an athlete, but I, I think they did okay. Oh, Lewis. Yeah, well, I, I, th- mm-hmm. I may have mentioned Lewis. Yeah, I think he's a longer-term piece. Um, so I don't mind what they did there. It didn't blow me away. It doesn't make me think that they're in any better shape to win this upcoming season, which I think is the name of the game. They didn't mortgage any future with it. With the free agency moves, they didn't mortgage the future. I think you can say that Dennis out Vincent in is better for LA from a fit standpoint. I think you can say that Brown out Prince in or Beasley out Prince in and Prince kind of matches some of what each of those guys did is an improvement. I think Gabriel out Hazen can be an improvement. And then you've got upside with reddish potentially. Like I like the moves. They haven't, they're not done. And as long as if they go grab Biombo, like I'm, I'm at like an A, I think I love that they retain their guys. I'm not as like, impressed by it just knowing what the market looked like but it was still crucial and they did it even though it was expected they still went out and did it and so that's good so i've got no like nothing to knock them on really i don't see any bad values i don't see any bad long-term deals the player options and is really the one thing that i'm like ah well if i'm gonna pick something like this i probably if we could have done it differently i don't know if they could have with d'lo you do what you have to do to keep him but with some of the main guys, I think you probably could have hardballed them and, and still brought them in. But I don't know. I don't know. So <laughs> that's me, you know, uh, what is it? Couch quarter, quarterbacking for my couch? What's the phrase? I'm so bad with phrases. Uh, Monday, morning, Monday morning quarterback. That's the one. That's the one. So if I'm going to nitpick, that's what I'm looking at. But I still think it's a very good offseason. And the team is better equipped for a playoff run, better equipped in the regular season. Uh, compared to last 
year's roster, two games. They just got to close it out and go get that one last center. And then I'm really happy. If they don't, I still see vulnerability. And I think they need to make something happen in season. I'm with that, Tim. Um, we've been going for a little while here, so let's wrap it up. Um, let the people know, uh, you know, where to find uh, more of this. I mean, in our Discord, if you send us a five-star review, um, and we'll get you in. But, you know, we have some some people who subscribe to us on Discord as well who give us uh, get, get some access to a bunch of extra cool stuff. Right, Tim? Yeah, man, we, we've got bonus pods at the lower bowl level. That's five bucks a month. You can actually get it cheaper than five bucks a month if you sign up for like a year, I think it is, or six months. Um, we've got a bunch of folks in there. We've got the courtside crew that gets access to all of that, plus X's and O's courses. There's like 24 hours of recorded content. Get you up to speed from A to Z on, you know, really immediately let you see the game at a different level and be able to recognize stuff that's happening and why and not just like they did this, but like they did this and it was good or they did this and it was bad or they did this and I would have done that. So trying to help you, you know, gain that confidence, gain the understanding, understand what's available. Um, so all that good content available there. There's uh, the owner's box crew that has additional access to stuff, the arena sponsorship. Want to shout out Port Prowse and TJ Tomatashi for rocking out with us at the arena sponsorship level, as well as Suzak Harris, QDadio, iPod Shuffle, Miguel, T Shuttleworth, Omar Roy, Abdulrahman, Keneal Mason, Doppel, and Romario at that owner's box level. But again, thank you, everyone. Join in. Twitter might fall apart here at some point soon. Yeah. But the conversation just keeps on going in there. So if you want to talk Lakers ball with us through summer league yes. and preseason and into the year, hop on in. We'd be happy to have you. Just DM me, Tom or the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast Twitter account, five-star review of the pod, or you can, if you want to like give us some money to get in, you could do that as well. Check out the link in my bio. You can get in through directly subscribing to one of those tiers I talked about. Yes, and we will be playing the film here uh, on our, as our outro if you want to watch these guys in a little bit different of a way. Um, but if not, thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over 600 each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply